0: Welcome to the New Life Millbrook Weekly Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast or other resources, please visit nlmillbrook.com. Glory to God. Hey, look at that. What do you like? Uh, he asked if you enjoyed praise and worship. I didn't get to see it. Raise your hand if you did. I'm even. You know what, I, my overwhelming thought was as I was listening to you and your son sing. Andrew, right? Andrew. You know what I was thinking as I was listening to both of them sing? I was thinking this. I was thinking, isn't it wonderful to have people singing in church who actually can? Yeah. <laughs> Drop the mic. It's wonderful. So uh, if nobody has said anything to you, add a girl, add a boy. Uh, you know, you may come here on Sunday and wonder, will, will Cindy be here? Will, Paul, will the Smiths be there? You know what you never wonder when you come here? Will the praise and worship be anointed? You never wonder that. You know that. But that doesn't happen by accident. These people are here and they're here early and they're practicing and they spend time to get it right for you. Don't ever take for granted the gifts that God's put in your presence of people who can sing and play and do it under the glory of God. So you did a good job, and you blessed me. It was wonderful. I'm so glad to be back here. Anybody here who's never heard me? Raise your hand if you've never heard me and you still don't know what to think of me. Nobody. Okay, cool. So you all know, so I won't spend a lot of time giving you etymology my life. Uh, Suffice to say, I grew up in church. How many of you here grew up in church? My dad was a preacher. Uh, My dad preached all over the world, 116 countries. His dad, my grandfather, preached 78 years. I say that sometimes, and I still just can't imagine. I've preached 43 years, and I'm thinking I'm just over halfway to what he did. 78 years. And he was married for 72 years, Ira, to the same woman. Drop the mic again. You know that's God. I've known people who are married 72 years to seven different people. This is 72 years to the same woman, and he smiled every day of his life. So uh, I come from a long line of love. But full disclosure, I was rebellious in my youth. How many of you here were ever rebellious? And as I like to say, the rest of you are liars. But that's fine. You need to to teach his own. Uh, That's my story. But uh, I'm so thankful that his love went deeper than the pit that I had dug for my life. There's no question that's where I was. How many of you know if you follow your own truth? How many of you heard that these days? I'm walking in my own truth. How many of you know that's code for I'm following a lie? Because how many of you know if it's anything other than the truth, by definition, it is a lie. And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. You don't have any truth in you. I don't have any truth in me without him. And so I had run my life into a pit And there was no doubt about it, thinking I'd never give out. And somebody came to me and just with love said, they pointed out the obvious, which church people are good to do sometimes. You know, you're in a pit. But they said, you know what? His love goes deeper still. And that's the wonderful word for somebody here today. If you feel like you've made mistakes, if you've spent your lifetime carrying your past with you. I like the phrase in that song that said, I know you left your grave behind you, your tomb behind you. So will I. So many people carry and pull their past into every new relationship, into every new job, into every new home, into every new day. Hasn't it robbed you of enough? Hasn't it robbed you of enough? Today's a day you can say, never again. Never again. I will not allow the past to impact how I look at my future. Because he's already done all he needed to do so that you could get out of your pit. His love went deeper than your pit. Aren't you glad? I am too. So glad to be here with you today. I wanted to talk about a passage that all of you have been in church long, I trust have heard, and I trust have memorized. And that's John chapter 10, verse 10. John chapter 10, verse 10. You know, it's interesting. People today are looking for a way. There's CEOs all over the country. Find me a way. I pay you good money. Find us a way. Find us a way to do this. Find us a way to do that. There's people that are looking for truth. How many of you know your mama wanted to know the truth? How many of you hear your mama could tell when you were lying? Of course she could. How many of you know your wife wants to know the truth? How many of you know the way of estrogen is this? Look at me. Look at me. Look at me. Everybody wants the truth. And then we all want to live. How many of you know right now during this, I don't know if y'all keep up with current events. You know, there's a virus. Uh, they tell me that's going around and people want to stay alive. Have you ever seen a time when people more interested to stay alive than right now? And if you haven't, think about this. Have you ever seen a time when people were washing their hands? That's a joke, y'all. People, you know, we want to stay alive. We're washing our hands. That's how serious we are about staying alive. If I'm in the restroom now and there's a guy in there don't wash his hands, I want to come out and go, hey, you can wash his hands. But how many you know Jesus said, I'm all that. I'm the way you're looking for. I'm the truth you're looking for. And I'm the life that you're looking for. And so what he said to me resonates like never before. So if you look at John chapter 10, verse 10, the scripture says, it's the thief that comes but to what? Steal, kill, and destroy. And then there's a semicolon. A semicolon. Who can tell me what... what uh, That piece of punctuation, a semicolon, what does that mean? Who here paid attention during language arts? (laughs) Several of you did. You did? Uh, Well, very impressive. uh, You're the person I was looking for. So what does a semicolon mean? It ties together two independent ideas, ideas, and it's noted by, essentially, a pause. Mm -hmm. The thief comes only to kill, steal, and destroy, pause for effect. How many married men do I have here? How many brothers in the struggle? How many of you know? Every one of you married men know it's what comes after the pause that's most important. Amen? You know it is. How many of you know estrogen are the masters of nonverbal communication? Every one of you here know the look. A couple of you are getting it right now. She speaks volumes just looking at you, and just when she pauses. In the early years of my marriage, my wife would be talking to me, and she would stop, and foolishly, I made a rookie mistake because I began to speak. And then she would look at me and go, Kim, I'm not done. I so, oh, oh, and of course, we're 40 years into this, and, and the truth be told, I'm still trying to determine, yeah, is she done? Is, when will my time be here? But it's important to understand when there's a semicolon, there's a pause, that's tying together two thoughts. So he said, the thief comes only to kill, steal, and destroy. Pause for effect. But I've come that you might have what? And what's the Greek word there? Zoe, which means the God kind of life. Everlasting life, abundant life. Now, this is one of the most important things Jesus ever said. To me, he summed up with this one sentence why he came. He came so that we could have abundant life, everlasting life, exceeding life, everything that you've been looking for. But how many of you know this wasn't a tweet? He didn't put this out on Instagram. He didn't stand up and say one sentence and sit down. If you look up there, before that verse you see a number, what is it? Ten. What does that mean? That means this is the tenth sentence in a message. In fact, if you don't know what he said prior to this, you don't know the context. Everybody say context. Give me air quotes. Say context. If you don't do air quotes, you're out of the will of God. Everybody do context. Sir, don't make me come back there. Context. That's right. No, I'm talking about you. Do good. Context. That's right. How many of you know? If you don't know the context in which he said, "I've come that you might have life and life more abundantly," you don't know what he meant. Furthermore, how many of you know he didn't sit down when he said this sentence? There's more that followed. In fact, one time, it's been 15 years ago, I preached on this passage here at your church. And so I want to talk about that today from a different angle. But I want to point out to you, this verse only means something. The abundant life only impacts your life if you know the context in which he spoke it. In fact, I'm going to say this to you, and I intend for it to be provocative. How many of you know just because you're born again does not guarantee you the more abundant life? Now some of you are saying amen and none in your head, and some of y'all kind of looking around like, do we believe that here? If you believe the Bible. But I will use your experience to prove to you that's true. How many of you here know somebody? There may not have been an abject healing, but but how many of you know if you don't know Jesus, you're in the dark. Right? You have sin in your life that's been, been unredeemed and so you, you, you're going to die and go to hell. And so you know this person who didn't know the Lord, then they heard the truth, they accepted it, their life changed, but they never really got plugged into church. And how many of you know if you don't get plugged into church, eventually you'll fall away. And you know this person that did just that. And today their life may be even worse than when they first believed. If you've ever seen that, raise your hand. Virtually in here, including your pastors, I rest my case. They were born again, they're not living the abundant life. Because being born again does not guarantee you the more abundant life. There must be more to it than just this one sentence, and indeed there is. So we're going to look at John chapter 10, and we're going to begin with verse 1. We're going to begin the same way Jesus did when he said, I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. He began this way. He said, very truly, I tell you, Pharisees. Now, the King James says, verily, I say unto thee. He says, very truly, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. Now, let's just look at the beginning of this. Jesus says, verily, I say unto thee. What does that mean? He's saying, I'm not lying. Now, I have been in ministry 43 years. There's many times i taught on this and would read this verse and just go right on through before one day it dawned on me Why would Jesus have to say, I'm not lying? Because how many of you know he's the only person who has ever walked the earth that didn't have to say that? How many of you here know somebody that if they say, I'm not lying, you know immediately she's lying? The old if your lips are moving deal. So why did Jesus say it? He didn't just say it here. If you read the four Gospels, it's throughout his messages. He frequently began with this disclaimer, I'm not lying. How many of you here have ever been so desperate to know something you you ask God? Desperate times, desperate measures. I wanted to know, why did he say I'm not lying? How many of you know if you want to know anything, ask God, he'll tell you. And so I asked the Lord, I said, why would he say, I'm not lying? He said, because of who he was talking to. Look who he says. Very truly, I tell you what, religious leaders of the day. He knew, everybody look at me. He knew what he was getting ready to say to them was going to offend them, rattle the cage of their religiosity, their this is how we've always done it Perspective. And so he told them in advance, guys, this is going to be shocking to you. It's going to offend some of you, but I'm not lying when I say this. He says, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. So now we have foreshadowing that's pretty clear of what his subject matter is. When he said, I've come that you might have life and life more abundantly, he was talking about shepherds and sheep. He was talking about shepherds and sheep. And more specifically, he said, anyone who enters the sheep pen by some other way is a thief and a robber. Now let me give you, I said context, give me your quotes again. Context. Let me talk about the context. In these biblical times, you had shepherds who went around taking their sheep, always looking for new pasture to graze. They didn't have a home fence that they kept their sheep in. They moved around with them. And when they come to a city, there might be several shepherds who brought their flock to that particular city. Those cities would have a communal, if you would, sheep pen, wherein all these different shepherds would take their sheep and put them all into the fold. And when the time came and you were coming to get your sheep, you would come and you would come to the pen to the gate to get your sheep. If you went in by some other way, if you tried to cut a hole, if you tried to open it up, if you tried to lift it up, Jesus saying, if you came in that way, you're a what? A thief and a robber. And He said, anyone who does it just that way is a thief and a robber. Look at verse 2. He said, now, the one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. In other words, he's going to come in properly. He's not trying to do this covertly. He's not trying to do this undercover. He's not trying to do this with ulterior means. He's straight up. He comes through the gate because he's a shepherd. Look at verse 3. He said, now the gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep, listen to his voice. Let me talk about this. The gatekeeper. When you went to these cities where there was this communal pin, what they did was they would hire an individual who was the gatekeeper. The gatekeeper would stay with those sheep all night long. He would actually sleep at the threshold of that pen. The uh, gate, rather, that took you in. He's the gatekeeper. That's his job. And when shepherds would come and say, I'm here to get my sheep, it was his job to identify for sure, are you really the shepherd? Are you really the shepherd? Are these really your sheep? Well, one thing was for sure, if you read here, he said, there was never confusion as to what, how many of you know back in those days, they didn't brand their sheep? Can't you see some guy carrying a brand that's really huge? It says, "This sheep belongs to John Jacob Jingleheimer Smith." And the sheep eyes are this big, as he comes with you know, because you know the brand's this big to say all that. They didn't brand their sheep; they have to. Every sheep knew that's my shepherd because what did the sheep recognize? His voice. It says he would call his own sheep by name and lead them out. You didn't have a guy who could come and say, those are my sheep right there. And the gatekeeper would say, prove it. He didn't say, well, well that one right here. Or that. He just said, prove it. How do you prove it? He would call them by name. We see that in the next verse. Look at verse 4. When he has brought out all his own, he goes ahead of them, and the sheep follow him. Why? They know his voice. Anybody here raise sheep? Anybody here ever own sheep? Okay, you just have to take my word for it. How many of you know sheep are not the smartest animal out there in your farmyard? Sheep uh, uh, are not, their eyesight is not great. They're not particularly fleet of foot. Uh, How many of you know sheep don't have razor sharp talons or claws? They don't have rows of incredibly sharp teeth. They're pretty susceptible. Uh, They're hard of hearing. Um... Furthermore, how many of you know they stand in stark contrast no matter what their setting is? Right? I mean, they're white. How many of you know there's one word that's never been uttered in a large group of sheep? You know what that word is? Blend. <laughs> they can't. No sheep of every just blend. They can't. They stand out in stark contrast. That makes them very susceptible. That makes them... Uh, because after all, they are a prey animal, that puts them in a place of almost constant peril. And so when a shepherd would come and say, those are my sheep, the gatekeeper would say, prove it. He'd call them by name. He knew their name. When he called their name, they would look. And when that gatekeeper opened the gate, those sheep would walk out. He didn't have to say, come on. He didn't have to go, yeah. Anybody here own cattle? You got cattle? You had her. how many head did you have 20 Did you ever have to move them from one pasture to another how did you do that yeah and you know, it's kind of hard to do but if, if the old school they rode a horse people who have large herds today will ride an ATV but basically if you're gonna move cattle how many of you know you got to get behind them yeah. Yeah. Crack a whip <laughs> do you have a cattle prod no I mean, you know, cattle prods, how many of y'all know what a cattle prod is? For those of you that are the uninitiated, it's a thing that has a little pistol grip, a long pole looking through the end, and at the end there's an electrode. when you pull a pig, it's battery power. When you pull a trigger, does anybody know how many thousand watts are going through there? From personal experience, I can tell you a lot. (laughs) Y'all have tractor supply here? my wife, when she walks in Tractor Supply, you can see all the employees go, she's here. They're thrilled. And so we were in Tractor Supply one day, and my wife likes me to go and help her find stuff. Tall things. I found in my life there's three things I must do. Lift heavy stuff, reach tall things, and kill bugs. And then another thing was added to that, and that is help me find. We go, search Kim, I need you to help me find. And so typically we would go look, and usually I'm looking up in the top up here, and she's looking down here. But I had looked on all the top. I don't remember what we were looking for. But I'd look, and now I'm down to like her, and I'm looking down at the bottom thing. And if you've ever been attracted to how many of you know the aisles are probably 60 foot long? And so I'm down looking like this, and they're all connected together, metal shelving. And so I'm down looking. Now, unbeknownst to me, on the end cap of this aisle is a basket full of cattle prods. And amazingly, who would do this? Somebody had one of them in there that the electrodes were connected, meaning it was hot. In other words, when you pull the trigger, things are going to happen. And so I'm down and I'm I'm looking for my wife at whatever it is that she needs. And our son, who's about eight or nine at the time, my wife swears to me she did not have any role in this whatsoever. I'm not convinced of it at all. He has that cattle prod and he comes over and accesses the part of me that's most convenient for him. He squeezes the trigger and puts it to my rear end. And when he did... I went forward. I mean, this things designed to move a 2,000-pound bull. I'm a big guy. I don't weigh that. And, and when he touched that to me, I, boom, I went straight into that. Have you ever seen, like, the inside of a building when an earthquake is hit in California and you can see all the shelves that are waving like that? I thought the entire shut and I knew it'll be pancake. When that one falls, it'll knock. The next one, I just, immediately I saw the whole store collapsing like dominoes. And now I'm trying to catch it and hold it back. So if you're going to move cows, you have to get behind them. You drive them. How many of you know you can't do that with sheep? If you get behind sheep and go, stop!" Ah! What are they going to do? What? No. The only way you can move sheep, and you have to move sheep, is to lead them. And the way you lead them is you call them by name and they know their name, and they know their shepherd's voice. And so when that shepherd would come to that communal pen, he didn't have to itemize and say, those seven and these two and those four and and this green one, none of that. He would just say, Cindy, Paul, Tammy, I don't know what you'd name your sheep, Theodore, uh, they would come. Alvin, I was thinking of the chipmunks, Actually, they would come, and then he would lead them out. The only way you can move sheep is to lead them you can't drive them shepherds have sheep sheep have to have a shepherd say this to me I'm a, I'm a sheep how many of you know when Jesus taught on this he wasn't there to teach that day on an ag lesson for everybody he was using this as a parable to help people connect the dots who are the sheep in this story wave a hand And wave it like your goofy cousin would. Come on, wave it. Say, that'd be me. Let me hear everybody in this side of the room say, I'm a sheep. sheep. Say it with enthusiasm. Let me hear y'all. Let me hear the sound booth. Delighted to have you with us. Everybody in the room say it. That's right, you're a sheep. So in this story, you're a sheep. And sheep know their shepherd's voice. And all he has to do is call them by name and they follow him. How many of you know, well, let's look at the next verse, and I've got another point I'll make, but let's look at verse 5. It says, now, they won't follow a stranger. In fact, what will they do when they hear a stranger? They'll run from him. Why is that? How many of you understand sheep are herbivores? Right? What is a herbivore? A herbivore is a plant eater. They eat grasses. They eat plants. As opposed to a carnivore, what does a carnivore eat? No, carnivores don't eat meat. Carnivores eat herbivores. Come on, y'all. You may not have known that. Herbivores know that. It is genetically inbred into every herbivore. Their number one motivation in life is not, let's eat! Their number one motion and you know, move in life is, let's not be eaten. I'm serious. From the time every herbivore is born, whether you're talking about a, a zebra out on the Serengeti Plains or you're talking about a baby horse or you're talking about a little calf, what's the first thing? If you've ever watched anything about any of those animals that are herbivores be born, what's the first thing they try to do? Stand up. Mama saying, stand up, stand up. It didn't eat, nurse. It's stand up. Why? They got to get on their feet because they got to be able to move because there's a wolf, there's a lion, there's a bear. There's something coming that's going to eat us. we got to be able to move. Get up, get up, get up, get up. That's what mom is saying. And she don't have to say it much because that's genetically in every herbivore. They don't want to be eaten. It's their number one motivation. That's what, anybody here own horses? I know you guys have had horses. How many did y'all have? Five or six? If you've ever seen horses out in a pasture, if one of them hears a weird sound, what does it do? They're the best watchdogs in the world. My wife and I have had, we have horses and we've had dogs over the years and they all got old at the same time. We had five dogs die within like three years because they all got to be 17, 18, 19, 20 years old. And now my watchdogs are my horses. I'm serious. Because if I ever see my horses in a pasture doing this, I know there's something over there that's important. Their eye can see movement. How many of you know a horse has 350 degree vision? How many of you know you can't tell where a horse is looking? They just got that big old bowling ball eye. But how many of you know they have monocular and binocular vision at the same time? Let me hear you say, imagine that. That means a horse could be watching Stephen up here playing bass with this eye, while this eye is watching him run sound up there at the same time. They have 350-degree vision. The only thing they can't see is five degrees in front of their nose and five degrees behind their tail. That's why it's always my esteemed counsel, don't spend much time in either of those places. Because they can't see it. They see everything else. And when a horse sees something, how many of you know, if you've seen horses, they hear something, what does he do? He looks along, and he starts running. How many of you know, they'll run 100 yards, and you turn around and go, what was that? How many of you know, when they run, the other five run with them? They all go running, and they all get up, and they go, what do we run about? I don't know if it's over there. Now they're all over <laughs> This is their ear. The only way you can tell what a horse is looking, how many of you know is their ears? Because here's the thing. That big old eye doesn't move. You've never seen a horse go, would you look at him? Would you look at him? They don't do that. <laughs> they may be thinking that, but they don't ever do that because their eye never moves, and yet they see everything. The only way you can tell where their eye is looking is their ears. And the same way their eyes are independent, how many of you know their ears do? You've seen horses, they got one ear over here, one over there. One's looking ahead, one's looking behind. He can look at himself. No, not really. <laughs> no, that's take that off the tape. That won't go anywhere. But as herbivores, that's their first response to anything. Run away! All herbivores are like that. They have to run first and ask questions later. They can't afford to ask questions first. They have to get a safe distance and a horse can't afford to be wrong they can't take that chance and so their number one motivation is always fear sheep are herbivores they're the same way they'll run they'll run they'll run how many of you know when one runs you can have 500 sheep one of them see something runs the other 499 run with them seriously you got they'll run off a cliff if it's a blind panic and as they're falling, they're like, why were you running? Because you were. <laughs> you got 500 sheep running. Only one of them knows why. But how many of you know the other 409 run, run with the same gusto as the one that knows? That is the nature of you and I. Stroke your beard. Go ahead, ladies. Do it by faith. Stroke your beard. <laughs> Stroke your beard. That's right. He likened us to herbivores who run, who panic, who run when we don't even know why, which is why you need a shepherd. And this is what Jesus was saying. I am the shepherd. Look at verse 6. Jesus had something happen here that I think every minister's had happen. It says Jesus used this figure of speech, but what is up with the Pharisees? They didn't get it. You've been pastoring here like 20 years. You ever been preaching and you can look out there and tell they're not getting it? I'm I obviously not preaching here at another man's church is where you've seen that happen because these people are always with you. But I've been preaching 43 years and there have been times I can look out there and tell they're not getting this. They're not thinking about anything I'm saying. You know what they're thinking about? Catfish. <laughs> By the time we get out of here there's not going to be no prime rib, honey. Potted meat and spam, that's all we're going to get. If he doesn't hurry and get out of here. Now, Pastor Allen knows the word. I know the word. And we've had trouble keeping people. But Jesus is the word. And they still didn't get it. So did he look at everybody and say, drive safely? Did he just shut it down? No. Look at verse 7. He starts all over again. Even to the point of telling them once again, I'm not lying. I promise you what I'm telling you, I'm telling you the truth. Now he said something no one had ever said. I am the gate for the sheep. How many know that a while ago they sang in that song, Do What You're Famous For? How many of you know one of the things Jesus was famous for? He said things nobody else had ever said. Everybody in this side of the room, let me hear y'all say, He said things nobody had ever said. He said, he said things said nobody, nobody had ever said. said. Say it again. He, he said, said things said. nobody ever said. How many of you know he didn't just talk? How many of you know he backed it up? Let me hear y'all say, He did things nobody had ever done. He, did he, did things did things ever. Done. he said things nobody had ever done. That's what he's famous for. He's famous for saying things no one had ever said and then doing things nobody had ever done. This is one of those things nobody had ever said. I am the gate for the sheep. Look at verse 8. He says, all who have come before me were what? They were the ones who tried to come to the communal pit and say, those are my sheep. No, they're not. You're a thief and a robber. He said, the sheep didn't listen to them. Now, how many of you understand We're the sheep in this story. And so, what I want to submit to you today and actually ask in the form of a question everybody, look at me. Everybody, look at me. Let your eyes meet mine. As I scan the room and I make eye contact here with everybody in here, I want to ask you a question. You're a sheep, so who are you following? Because I drove five hours to tell you today, if you're not following the shepherd, by definition, you're following another sheep. You follow, you're a sheep. Sheep don't lead. Sheep follow. So if you're not following the shepherd, by definition, you're following another sheep. It's popular in our culture today for people to say, as I said a while ago, I'm walking in my own truth. How many of you have heard people say that? That's rampant on social media these days, even though I'm not on it. People ask me, you're not on Instagram, you're not on Tweet, you don't have Facebook? No, I always tell them, I don't need another way to disappoint people. <laughs> <laughs> i Am already, you know, behind on voicemails and behind on text and behind on emails? And so I don't need another way to keep up. And so I just say, no, but I know... That's one of the things that's rampant in our culture today. Everybody's walking in their own truth. How many of you know sheep out there today are saying all kinds of things? And if all you listen to is sheep, then all you'll ever get is what those sheep get. If you hear what sheep say, if you say what sheep say, if you think what sheep think, all you'll ever get is what sheep get. If you want anything we've talked about today, any of those songs that we sang today, anything that the Bible says, if you're following a sheep by definition, you'll never get there. How many of you know the media are sheep? ABC, NBC, and CBS, and CNN, they can't tell you the truth. You know why? They've never met him. They can't take you somewhere they've never been. They can't give you a drink of something they've never had. All they can tell you is their truth. And I marvel what stands as truth today. We got people today who believe there's 16 possible pronouns to refer to an individual. Stroke your beard. Imagine that, 16, and it all depends on how they're identifying that day, how they're presenting. Is what they like to say. I'm presenting as female. I'm presenting as non-binary. And some of y'all are going, Google that. What's non-binary? I've never heard that. Well, that's sheep speak. You won't find non-binary anywhere in the scriptures. You know what you will find? It says, and he made them male and female. But all these people today try to act like, oh, no, no. Don't. They get offended if you use the wrong pronoun. I marvel that these same people that won't let you use the wrong or the right pronoun are the same people that tell you Christmas is just a holiday. Oh, they're quick on that. But don't use the wrong, don't call him him when he's a her. I mean, just because you put a dress on don't make you a woman. Y'all ain't gone home, have you? Come on here. I'm telling you the truth. Just because you put a dress on don't make you a woman. Just because you got on a woman's bathing suit don't mean you can compete against other women. And we got that happening right now. And everybody's like, oh, yes, well, he's walking in his own truth. <laughs> oh, he's a liar. Well, no, don't tell me they get offended. I present, don't tell me who I am. Well, clearly you don't know. <laughs> don't you marvel when you hear these people, I need to take a couple weeks off, I'm trying to find myself. I'm trying to get in touch with myself. I always want to ask him, out of curiosity, where are you going to look first? <laughs> yeah, seriously. If you discover anything, you'll find out why nobody else likes you. If you want to know the truth, he's easily accessible. He said, I don't want anybody that looks for me. I am the truth. I'm the only gate to get you to the truth. Everything else is a lie. You know why these people aren't able to follow the shepherd? When he calls them by name, they've changed it. No, I'm presenting as Chaz now. I'm not Kathy. I'm not Ted. I'm Thumbelina. No, you. I didn't come because... You, I'm being light about something that's very serious. It's destroying our nation. The Bible says we're fearfully and wonderfully made. By the way, when it comes to these people who, how many of you know for them being a man is a moving target? When I spoke to the men one time, I remember telling them that. I said, you know, when people came here, we had our blues and buffalo thing. I was reminding them of the time of Lewis and Clark, there was one herd of buffalo that were 16 miles square. One herd of buffalo, 16 miles square. When they started moving, would trample trees, everything in its path. And those were the days when everybody wanted to come to America. Why? Go west, young man. America was a place where a man could be a man. What's America today? It's a place where a man could be a woman or a moving target. See, for all these people who tell you they, they're trying to decide how they identify, they're trying to find themselves, you know what? We can answer the question as to who they are immediately, either while they're alive, the day they die, or 100 years after they die. You know how? DNA. DNA! It'll tell us whether you got male DNA or female DNA. You may have shot up female hormones, but just because you did and now you grow a beard, you don't, that don't make you a man. Let's be real. All of us in this room have seen a woman with beards. Quit being church people, y'all. We've all seen that. That's why there's all kind of products out there for women to lighten their mustache or to get rid of it. Just because you shoot up with hormones, and you can grow a beard. That don't make you a man. Y'all don't shout me down just because I'm preaching good. I'm telling you straight up truth here. And this is the problem. We've got sheep who listen to what other sheep say. The Bible says you're fearfully and wonderfully made. Anybody here in the medical profession? You are? Uh, Isn't it true that there's 262 bones in the human body? I got it. I I believe that's true. And what's incredible, did you know you're born with more than that? Is he teething? No, I'm serious. You're born you're like, well, what happens to them? You know, you change a diaper. Honey, there's some bones in here again. What's up with this? No, they fuse. You're born as an infant with more bones than that, but many of them fuse together, so you end up with 262 bones. I read that if you took the entire circulatory system of an average human, and you took all their veins, capillaries, and arteries, and you lined them up end to end, The average human has nearly 750,000 miles of blood vessels. Now, to give you a perspective, it's 250,000 miles around the earth at the equator. Three trips around the earth is in you right now. But there are sheep out there that want you to think that came from a bang. Seriously, you're like, a bang? Yeah. You're like, but I've got 750,000 miles. And they say, well, it's a, a big bang. It's, a, it's a big. Yeah, as We told you it's big straight up. It's a big bang. That's goofy. How many of you know sheep speak is always goofy? It's never related. But I'm walking in my own truth. That's a lie. If you're not following the shepherd, by definition, you're following other sheep. And here's something else. My wife and I have horses. We have a young horse. How many of you here get Susan's newsletter? Raise your hand if you get a newsletter. It's just a few of you do. If you've read in there, we have a baby horse. Uh, Ariel is his name. The story behind Ariel. Um, when he was born, the training barn where she would go to, we were there pretty much every week. We were there the day he was born. They have about 20 babies born there every year. He was the last one born, in other words, much later than all the others. And he was diminutive when he was born. In fact, everybody in the barn called him Tiny Tim. How many of y'all remember Tiny Tim? Well, he's Tiny Tim. But from the moment we saw him laying there in his stall and first saw him standing on them little spindly legs and trying to nurse with his mother, we both just had an affinity for him. You know, he's the underdog. He's the little tiny guy. And Susan and I both just said, Man, I love, I love that little guy. She said, Me too. Long story short, through an incredible turn of events, God placed that horse in our lives. First thing Susan did was change his name. She said he's not Tiny Tim anymore, he's Ariel. It's Hebrew, it means Lion of God. What she said before is so true, if you don't write it down, it'll never come to place in your life. How many of you know if you don't write it down, you'll never speak it? Write it down, everybody said, write it down. Habakkuk chapter 2 that's what the Lord said write down the revelation make it plain on tablets so that a herald may run with it everybody say write it down if you write it down you'll start speaking and so that's we begin to speak over him you're Ariel you're a line of God you'll never be afraid of anything today he weighs 1200 pounds he's not a baby anymore here's what's remarkable say every day Every day since he came home with us at seven months old, he's this tall when he comes home. Comes to our place this tall. Not a whole lot bigger than a Labrador retriever. Cute as a button. Came home to live with us. Every day from that day to this, every bite of hay he's ever had, either my wife and I are giving it to him. Every day, every drop of water he's ever had in his lifetime, either my wife or I have given it to him. Every day of his life, every bite of grain he has ever had in his life, either my wife or I have given it to him. And yet, every day when we go to his stall, he asks us the same question. You know what the question is? Who's going to be the boss? Is it going to be you or me? I got know Who's going to be the boss? Only now when he asks, it's 1,200 pounds behind the asking. I'm a big guy. I don't try to wrestle with him. Among horses, they don't wrestle over it either. They can't afford to. you got two stallions in the same pasture. they got to determine, where's the hierarchy here? Am I going to stand back and let you eat first? Or am I going to go with impunity and eat and watch you walk away? How do they determine that? They can't afford to fight. They can't afford to bite one another. After all, they're herbivores. And yet, this has to be resolved. The way they do it is you'll see two horses in a pasture. They'll come and they'll put nostril to nostril. The first one who takes a step back just conceded the first one that takes a step back has just conceded because in the wild that's something horses rarely ever do is walk backwards when you have a horse and he can move another horse's feet he has authority and so what we do with our horses before we ever get on their back from the time he was seven months old we brought him home we made him understand say every day day. we call it do-right school every day We move his feet, forward, back, left, and right. So whenever he asks me, he'll bow up, makes himself tall. I mean, his head, when he raises it, it's up here. And he tries to bow up and stick his chest out. I don't fight him. I make him move his feet. Before we ever give him food, and I walk into his stall, my wife and I, every day. Say every day. Every day we go to that stall. Before I ever open the gate, you know the first thing I say to him is, back up. Back up. We've just settled again who the boss is. Of course, now when he's done eating, I go to take him out. He's going to ask me again. Who's going to be the boss? I move his feet back up. Move to the left, move to the right. Because if you can move somebody's feet, you have authority over them. That's what the shepherd is able to do with the sheep. He moves their feet with his mouth. How? He calls them by name. If you don't know his voice you won't move your feet for the shepherd. He knows your name, but if you don't know his voice, you won't move. You know who you'll move for? Let me just say it to you this way. Whoever moves your feet, that's who has authority over you. I'm going to give my own pause right here. Semicolon. I'm going to let you connect those two thoughts. Whoever is moving your feet, that's who has authority over you. We all like to think of ourselves as leader. I'm a leader. No, one tell me what to do. I preached in Nashville not long ago. There was a guy there that was the general contractor of what is now the tallest building in Nashville. Anybody been to Nashville? If you've been in Nashville, the big, there's a big building. And it's the AT&T building downtown. They call it the Bat Building because of the top of that thing looks like the top of Batman's Cave. They're building a building now taller than that. And this guy was at my meeting, and he's the general contractor. And I was teaching about authority, and he came up to me afterwards. He said, Brother Kim, i got to tell you something. He said, I love that message. He said, I wish everybody that works for me could have been there. He said, I'm the general contractor in this. He said, at any given time, I've got five to 600 of the finest electricians, plumbers, engineers, the very top of their field on every floor of this thing all working together. But he said, you know what? There's days that I'm there, it's like dealing with 500 four-year-olds. Because he said, none of them want to be told what to do. It's just the nature of testosterone. You tell them something, we bow up like Ariel. Well, here's what I submit to you. Whether you're a man or a woman, whoever's moving your feet, that's who has authority over you. If you're not following the shepherd, you're following another sheep. And I got to tell you something. If you're living your life following another sheep with your nose in the rear end of another sheep, there ought to be three words that come to your mind at some point. You know what they are? That ain't right. That ain't right. You weren't created to do the elephant walk with a bunch of sheep. You were created to follow the shepherd. Look at the next verse, verse 9. He said, I am the gate, and whoever enters through me will be saved. They'll come in, they'll go out. What will they find? What's pasture? That's the first thought that we have is food. You know why? Because we're omnivores. Ira, I know you're like me. You're an omnivore. You know what omnivores eat? Anything. Anything. But a herbivore knows a pasture is not just food. Everybody look at me. Remember now, you've got a prey animal. You've got an animal that is eaten by other animals. So their number one thought, it is genetically ingrained to them. When they're born, stand up, get up, get up. When you hear a sound, look, run, run away. So for them, a pasture is so much more than food. It's peace it's security you ever hear your horses do this of course they don't do that when they're fearful they do that when they're going it's all good it's all good my wife and I owe horses when my wife leads them out or I lead them out and they get out there to their pasture they don't pout fences Just when everything was looking good, fences. I'm tired of fences in my life. Horses never think that. They see a fence. They see pasture. (sighs) Oh, it's all good. They just hang their head and start grazing. Because for them, a pasture is everything. Everything you've ever desired in your life is in the pasture only Jesus can lead you to. Not just food everything your hopes your dreams your your future deliverance from your past peace of mind rest comfort confidence all of that is found where in your pasture and the bible says if you follow him if the only moving your feet is the shepherd that's what you'll find you'll find pasture and remind me church what is pasture it's everything everything then he said verse 10 For the thief comes only to kill, steal, and destroy. But I have come that you might have life and life more abundantly. If you're wondering how you've got to where you are in your life today, I've heard people say, I don't know how this happened. Yeah, you do. Yeah, because who you've been following. Let me submit this to you. Everybody look at me. Show me the five most important people in your life and I'll show you your future. Show me the five most important people in your life. I'll show you your future because most likely those are the people who move your feet. And as she said, if you don't write it down, you're not getting where you want to. You won't be able to make decisions saying, I don't need to do this. This doesn't line up with what my purpose is in my life. That guy wrote that book years ago, The Purpose Driven Life. I wasn't crazy about everything he wrote in the book. I love the title. That's what we've been called to, a purpose-driven life. How many of you know your only purpose is found in that pasture? And the only way you'll find that pasture is to follow that shepherd. Amen? Wave a hand and say, I know that's right. I'm going to close with this. How many of y'all ever watched Animal Planet or National Geographic? Uh, And I may have used this example when I preached on this 15 years ago, but you probably don't remember, so I'll do it again. Uh, if you've ever watched National Geographic or Animal Planet, I bet you've watched lions hunting. How I many you know that's compelling? There's nothing to me more magnificent than the face of a male lion up close. They're awesome. That's the definition of awesome. You see that huge head, you see those eight inch long canines inside their mouth. They're incredible. If you've watched when lions hunt, they hunt in a cooperative manner. Can anybody tell me what is it called when you have a group of lions hunting together? Does anybody know there's a word that describes it? It's a noun, it's not a verb. It's a pride. P-R-I-D-E. A pride is how lions hunt. It's a group of lions. Can anybody tell me what's unique about the demographic of that pride? Who said all females over here? You're right. It's all females. A pride of lions is all female lions hunting. There's not one male in the bunch. As my wife likes to point out to me, Kim, it's a cooperative. There's no room for testosterone. And so when they hunt, all these lions are circled around, say, a group of gazelles, Thompson's gazelles. How many of you know what a Thompson gazelle is? They all look, it's a deer. that's a small diminutive deer common to Africa and the plains of the Serengeti. They all look identical. And so they surround those, those Thompson's gazelles. How many of you know the lion is the same color as that grass that's waving on the plains? And allows them to get close. They hunch right down on their bellies as they circle around those gazelles. But how many of you know the gazelles see them coming? The gazelles aren't completely, you know, fooled by this. They know. And as those lions get closer and closer, what you'll notice gazelles start doing is running and jumping. A gazelle runs and jumps, and, and they're saying, look, I'm healthy. You don't want to have to chase me. I'm healthy. I eat Activia, and they go run, and they jump. <laughs> and they jump, and they jump. Look at me. I'm healthy. Did you know that gazelles, if they have an injured gazelle, they'll tuck him and ex- ex- move him out of the herd? Because basically what they're saying is, Joe... Don't stand next to me. you got a bad leg. You're ringing the dinner bell for both of us. <laughs> go stand over there. Go, I'm te- go stand over there. And that's basically what's happening. When they see those lions coming, they start running and jumping. I'm healthy. Look at me. But, but Joe, now Joe, show him the leg, Joe. Show him your leg. Show him your leg. See, he's got a bad leg. You'll want Joe. Now, the Bible says, our enemy is like that roaring lion. He's seeking whom he might devour. Now, if you were there and you were looking at that herd of gazelles, which of those gazelles, they all look identical, which of those gazelles, raise your hand, don't just answer out loud, but which of those gazelles would a lion choose? If you watched the show before, you know, raise your hand if you know. Yes, sir. An injured one. Excellent. Did you raise your hand? what an injured one who else yes sir an immature one anybody else one that's been outcast is not in the herd anybody else how about an old one you know we got Joe who's got a bad leg then we got uncle Joe (laughs) y'all remember uncle Joe Y'all remember that show, Petticoat Junction? There's Uncle Joe. He's moving kind of slow at the junction. Petticoat Junction. And for those lions, they know who they're going to pick. They're not going to pick Activia, boy. They're picking the one who's ostracized, who's immature, who's hurt, who's been injured. So, using that same rationale, if the lion, which we know to be the devil, came to new life, if he came right here, if he was here this morning and was trying to choose, which of you will he eat first? Well, then tell me, who would he choose? Come on, y'all, don't act like you got to think about it. You've already told me, the ones who've been hurt at church, who've used that as an excuse to be ostracized. The one who's on the periphery and immature. They're here, but never really a part of anything. They don't come to the women's meeting, and they don't come to the men's meeting. They've never seen this church at night, not from the inside. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty straight up. You've watched it illustrated who the lion would choose first. But if you're the one who's with the shepherd, I mean, know David said, I've killed lions with my bare hands. Saul when he flashed credentials when he said I'll go kill Goliath for you he said a bear came I killed him with my hands a lion came I, he was going to mess with my sheep I killed him with my hand I'll cut this guy's head off he doesn't have a covenant with God who is this across the way taunting all of us who have a covenant with God if you're with the shepherd you have nothing to fear because he's going to lead you and where is he going to lead you to pastor and what's pasture? church everything That is abundant life. The only way you have abundant life is you're following the shepherd. If you're not following the shepherd, you're following a sheep. Bow your heads, close your eyes. It's my heart to see everybody follow the shepherd. That's what God called me to. He said, everywhere you go, don't tell them what you think, son. Tell them what I said. But I trust that in teaching this message today, reminding you of this, this is something you're all already doing anyhow. That you would never follow the sheep in your life. Your feet would only be moved by the shepherd. But the reason I minister this to you today is to be an exhortation. Pastor Allen and I were talking in his office earlier. And he said something I love. He said, I don't want to hear Bible stories anymore. I don't want to teach Bible stories anymore. I want to be the story. I want to do what Jesus set an example for us to do. And that's what I want to exhort each of you to do today. Go out there and be the mouthpiece to your world. The Bible says he sends ambassadors to every world. You're the ambassador for your world. Go out there and show them what it is to follow a shepherd. To not be moved by the social media sheep. To not be moved by the media sheep. To not be moved by the political sheep. To only be moved by the shepherd. To follow him and his voice alone. Knowing he left the 99 to go get you out of the snare. Isn't it wonderful that every one of you in this room, including myself, were the one that was caught in the snare. Aren't you glad he left the 99 to come get you? Well, isn't that an important enough message? Was that not enough dynamic enough experience in your life to go take it to your loved ones? Isn't that important enough to go take to your friends at your work? Isn't that important enough to express to your children? Isn't that important enough to express to your mom or dad who may not know him? The answer is unequivocally, yes, it is. Be that story. Be that example. Father, I just thank you for all these precious people. Lord, who in spite of all the winds that have blown in this nation for the last two years, they're here today, faithful, sitting at your feet, oh God, to hear what you have to say, to speak into their life. They're here with their hands outstretched to worship you in adoration. To acknowledge that we follow you for what you're famous for. That you said what no one had ever said, and you did what no one had ever done. Father, I pray that you would create an enthusiasm. Stir the very hearts of these people that are represented here this morning. Stir them out of complacency. Take them out of lethargy, oh God. It's not the pastor's job. It's their responsibility. Move upon them, oh God, to take the good news of the gospel to every friend they have, And to everyone who presents themselves in an enemy as well. Father, I thank you that we have no enemies in this life. Only those who don't know you yet, Father. For you died for all of them. You died for every one of them. I pray, oh God, for the people in this community who don't know you. But Father, I pray the way they would come to know you is through the people here who do. That they would be the story. They would be the example. They'd be the walking Bible. The only Bible some of these people will ever read. I pray it in Jesus' name. Everybody say this to me. It's done. In my life, I'll be the story. That's all he's called you to do. Be the story. Be the story. Pastors, right? It's been about close to 25 years that I've had the privilege of coming here. I love when I get to come to Millbrook. I like your pastors. How many of you here like your pastors? You know, the learned different thing about them, how many of you know not everybody you meet, the more you get to know them, the more you like them? You know what I mean? It's not always what you thought. These two people are two people that the more I find out about them, the better I like them. And that's pretty cool. And how many of you know this macro truth we've talked about today of having a shepherd to follow? How many of you know we have a micro expression in this room? It's them. That you're a shepherd of their flock. Every time that I've ever come here, they are so good and generous to me. If you've been here any other time, you know that's a theme. Every time I come here, I brag on how gracious and loving they are. But part of what allows them to do that is you. You. When the Lord called me to ministry, I already told you what he told me the night I got ordained. His straight up words to me were, don't ever go tell them what you think. Tell them what I said. That's what I endeavored to do today. And then he said this. He said, and if you tell them what I said... I'll speak to them, and they will bless you. He told me, he said, I'll never write you a $100 bill. I'll never hand you a $100 check. I'll never give you a $100 bill. He said, I don't have to. That's what my people are for. How many of you know God don't print money? Our government does. God don't. What does he do? He shakes it loose where it already is. How and why? Why would you ever sow into our ministry? Because my endeavor has been every time I've come here to speak something into your life that changes it, that makes it better, that gives you an insight either into God or yourself that you didn't have before. Something that challenged you, something that made you want to say, I don't have to live like this anymore. As I said earlier, it's robbed me of enough. I'm ready to live different. That's what we've endeavored to build our ministry on. And that's what we've endeavored to do in the churches. But how many of you know the church isn't the only place where there's people that need ministry? Yeah, there's people out of the church. And that's why for 33 years we've had an outreach to Native American people. I like to say the first Americans or the ones who discovered Columbus. And in many ways, they're the forgotten Americans. For 33 years we've had an outreach to Native American people from the Seminole in Florida to the Assiniboine in North Dakota to the Pima and the Zuni in Arizona, to the Choctaw in Mississippi, to the Lumbee in North Carolina. And now we've not only got an outreach to native people. We believe Jesus died for everybody. So by deductive reasoning, how many of you know if he died for Indians, he died for cowboys too. And so we have an outreach to people who love horses. It was birthed about 20 years ago when somebody came, my wife and I, and said, I have all these loved ones, they're good people, but they'll never come to church because that's when they go ride their horse. And so he we said, well, let's, let's have a cowboy church. And so we met at a barn, and my wife preached, and she sat on her horse. She preached the whole service sitting on the back of a horse, sing, did the whole thing. And it started to rain. There was no room for everybody in the barn. They were sitting out on hay bales in an open field. And you know what? Nobody left because she went too long. In fact, nobody left because it started raining. They just put up an umbrella or sat in the rain. They were so hungry to hear. And now she has an outreach through her newsletter, her horse ministry newsletter. She has people on every continent that receive it. Think about that every continent she had a guy the other day that signed up from Qatar in the Middle East and I'm sure he's Muslim and he said he has Arabians but he said I've never heard anyone say the things that you've said I'm so fascinated she likes to give me a hard time she says Kim it takes you rental cars airports and hotels to reach people she said I reached the whole earth in my bedroom slippers I told her we may have the only cowboy and Indian ministry in America today So what I'm trying to say to you is, we just want to make a difference. And every door that that the Lord opens to me, I go. And I will tell you straight up that everywhere I've ever ministered for all these years, I've done it the same way I've come here, and that's an offering. Your pastor will tell you, I've never ever discussed money with him, not one time. I just come and come in faith, knowing that God moves. How many of you know his arm is not short? And so all I'm asking today is this. If anything, in t- I've been coming nearly a quarter of a century, 25 years. If anything I've ever said has made a difference in your life, that's all I'm asking you to do today. Make a difference in mine. Amen. Come on, brother. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Have a great week.